Alright, we just got back from fall break. Monday and Tuesday was fall break, which means that we did not have torts on Monday and Tuesday, but we did end up having it uh, yesterday, Wednesday, and we were continuing our discussion about proving causation. Just to recap what causation is. Causation, well, to show negligence, or rather to have action and negligence, you need to have a negligent action. And then you need to show that that negligent action, more likely than not, caused the injury. And we talked about uh, glass falling and causing cancer, medical-related things to see whether or not those instances, in the lack of certain evidence, may or may not have caused the injury. And we have two cases that we talked about today. Uh, We're going to be talking about negligence causing an injury when there's already a minimal chance of survival and we're going to be talking about certain ways that you can prove that something was caused. So the first case that we have is Hershkovitz uh, and what happened here is that the person was dying and they went to the ER. They were not diagnosed at the ER and then later uh, the wife took her husband to uh, a practitioner where he ended up dying there. And what ended up happening is the autopsy or whatever might have happened is he originally had a 39% chance of survival, but because he was not diagnosed at the ER, uh, that percent chance of survival decreased by 14%, and his chance of survival was only 25%. Now, you can't really say, or rather the defendant's argument here is, well, he he had less than a 50% chance of surviving anyways. So we didn't actually cause the injury of him dying. And so that's the argument made by the defendant. And the court disagrees with this argument. They say that if you have a significant impact on someone's death or injury, even if the percent chance of them before going into that was underneath 50.1, meaning 50% plus just a little bit, and then you can have a cause of action against the negligence. So ultimately, biggest takeaway here is in this medical field, if the chance of survival is under 50.1%, then the defendant may be liable for the decrease So, for example, the 39 to 25, uh, the decrease caused to the plaintiff. However, they only need to pay the damages for the decrease uh, for that 14%. And those are going to be additional costs of medical costs, uh, time, mostly emotional damage. And the reason for that is because you can't argue that they actually caused the death because they had a less than probable chance of surviving anyways. However, if the chance of survival is over that 50.1%, and then because the negligence drops below that 50.1%, well, then you have a cause of action for the full wrongful death of the plaintiff. This also applies to legal malpractice cases, except legal malpractice cases are a little harder to show because first you need to show the negligence, and second you need to show that the negligence caused the injury, which often is hard. For example, if a person 
has a workplace accident and is receiving benefits from a third party, but the lawyer messed up with with negligence in the case, statute of limitations, well, then the plaintiff in this case would have a really hard time showing damages because they were already being compensated for what they had lost. And so you need to show, first of all, that there's negligence, and second of all, that it caused an injury to the plaintiff. Now, Daubert is a case about expert witnesses, and I won't get into the details of the case because we're going to finish Daubert next week, so I'm going to go more in depth then. But ultimately, what we need to know is that there are several ways that the courts are going to look at proof of causation and what kind of studies that the courts look to when expert witnesses are saying, look, I've done this study, and this study shows that this caused this. So there's several types of studies. The first is epidemiological, which just means study some people. Uh, There are some pros to study some people, meaning... People are people, but it and so things are pretty straightforward there as far as this is evidence that this actually causes injuries on people. The issue is that there's ethical problems, meaning you can't conduct a study on someone about harmful effects naturally, meaning you can't just put a whole bunch of people who have never been exposed to, like, secondhand smoke, for example, put them in a room and expose them to secondhand smoking because that has a harmful effect on people, and that is unethical. Really, what these kind of experiments involve is you have an experimental group where you expose them to a condition and then you have a control group where it's not exposed to a condition, and then you compare the two together. Another type of study is animal studies, conducting tests on small animals, rats, mice, uh, whatever it may be. The ethical issue there, of course, is um, it's animals, and you have to be careful uh, for animals' sake. And then the other issue with that is animals aren't people. So it's really hard to say because this test was conducted on an animal that the results are going to be the same for a human. Then you have in vitro tests, and these are studies of cells and tissues. Uh, The problems with that is that it is often too small and, and things develop over time. And so, again, making that comparison, kind of the same issue is um, a fetus isn't the same as a fully developed adult, if that makes sense. Another test that you can do is analyze chemical structures. So you have one molecule that you know is harmful, and you have another that you're trying to test, and you see if there's a difference between the two or if there's similarities. And if there's similarities, you can say, well, this also has may have caused this. The issue with that is 
very small differences could have a huge impact or alteration of the chemical structure. And then finally, uh, you can have clinical diagnosis. And what happens here is that if somebody's sick, they go to the doctor, and the doctor narrows down the list, one from one, what's most probable, if that's not what's going on, what's the next probable, so on and so forth. The courts have a strong preference for epidemiological proof, meaning the experiments involving humans. But once again, they are expensive, and uh, you, you have to watch out for the ethical issues there. But that's really how you can prove causation is through any of those testing methods through expert testimony. But we'll go ahead and get into Daubert later, and that will actually end up being next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.